This is Critical Nonsense, our high-low-brow show about culture, science, and tech. This week, Aaron asks us about the next music solo. I am an idiot, walking a tightrope of fortune and fame. This is what Joey sounds like. I want to run to you, but if I come to you, that's what an Aaron sounds like today. Wow. But like off pitch, out of key. And this is what an executive producer um, swinging through circles of flame, Jess Vander, sounds like. Hi, this is Jess. <laughs> Not even like a whoosh, whoosh. Like I just sound effects. Flames, like, circles. Yes. Flames in circles. <laughs> flames in circles. And, I'm flames sorry. I was going to get down. Flames are in circles. <laughs> um... <laughs> Do we have housekeeping? What are our recent topics? I felt like there was something that we spoke about that we said, oh, yeah, we should address that in housekeeping. But then, you know, I you know, think they want to do. Well, precisely. I was going to say, I mean, uh, let's put it in the closet and then check on it when we remember to check it out. <laughs> Largely, uh, there are, have been a number of corrections departments <laughs> courtesy of our uh programmer in chief leslie jacobs several of them which you can find in the show notes for instance a blue whale's heart isn't actually the size of a volkswagen beetle it's almost by all measurements smaller than that and uh weighs less than that screw you snapple cap i know and then (laughs) and then something about um reinforcement learning from human feedback uh training what in my head immediately sounds kind of like some scientific experiment but i think it seems it's related mm. to elo scores goodness we're really gonna have to we're elo have scores to... are the scores for like chess ranking and dating apps and stuff Mm. Yeah, we're gonna mm. have to we're gonna have to bring um bring Les on to tell us all of the things that we got wrong. But look, we say things that we get wrong all the time on this show, and that is why we have a corrections department. Because then yes. that's why we share links in the show notes. And, <laughs> this is true. And you can just tell us when we're wrong to send us a note at criticalnonsense at sylvain.co and say, Joey or Jess or Aaron, but less likely Aaron. You're wrong! <laughs> I don't know. I'm pretty wrong a lot. Let's just be real. <laughs> and, we'll just and we will just see. Yes. So I guess, am I the one that has a, th- a thing? I remembered one. It was not a corrections department. It was a supplement. Uh-huh. The, there was a really good podcast on plain English with Derek Thompson that covered mm-hmm. some of the questions relating to achievement and success that we spoke about uh, a few weeks ago, we can drop that in. It's a nice conversation with experts around achievement and success in teenagers and why teenagers in Western countries are less happy than adults in Western countries because we're foisting too much on them, too many petards. 
We need to stop petarding and the foisting. Both. Immediately stop them. At least one. We can keep the petarding, but no more foisting, I say. No. No more foisting. Aaron, drop your query. Y'all ready for this? It's gonna be a... Well, I mean, yeah. I was gonna do a whole joke about, like, dropping it. Just, but like you made it cooler. Like, but it's cool. No, it's fine. The moment is past. So sorry, I was just yes anding. Right, right. Drop the beat. But I also want to say that, like Jess, you are not wrong for yes anding with me. Oh, I did. I was trying to do it again. Damn it! Ah, ah, these contextual jokes. I do. You know, friendships and collaboration. You dropped it, and as soon as you dropped it, Jess caught it and was That's like, right. "Don't! Oh, you dropped this. Sorry, I picked it up for you." <laughs> oh, hey, did you did you mean to drop this? <laughs> yes, Jess, you must have wings because you are the flying buttress that supports us all. Flying buttresses. <laughs> <laughs> I really I definitely heard flying mattresses. Which yeah, that's what she said. Oh, that's great. Okay, what? buttresses. Okay, <laughs> I no, heard mattress. The buttress. This was the whole. Th- this is an Aaron reprise. I really want a flying mattress. I don't. I mean, Jess. I, I thought your what you said was right. I'm sorry. We have okay. I've mangled. I've mangled this. I, <laughs> let's like get right back on him. So I do have a a phenomenon that I would like to explore with you. And you know, and like a phenomenon. Oh shoot! All right now. Um. So LL Cool J. So we spend a lot of time talking about very heavy deep, robust philosophical thoughts. And I think that this definitely rises to that uh, occasion. It's really the critical of the nonsense, I would say. I Um, would, too. And this has to do with music, pop music. So can I just spin you a quick yarn to set this up real quick? Mm -hmm. So I woke up this morning and I had a dream last night uh, that involved Dolly Parton. I don't remember anything, but I remember like waking up and having to listen to I Will Always Love You. Mm. And truly, because I dreamed about this so much, I was like, well, I'm already tired of the Dolly version because that's what I heard in my dream all night last night. So let me put on the Whitney version. And like, there are certain songs that we're saturated with. So it's like, who really presses play on I Will Always Love You on their own accord? Like, usually it's like going to show up at a wedding or like somewhere where you didn't ask for it, but everybody knows that you're doing it. And it's really powerful to listen to that song because of one particular phenomenon that really stood out to me, which was the jazz sax solo that's in the middle of it. Because I can remember... Every riff, every run, every note, every moment of that entire song. And much like I'm sure everybody else does, I, as I'm eating my overnight oats, was doing like a hand saxophone, you know, in the middle of it. Just like, you know, like the fingers are moving around as though we are all playing saxophones live. And I fell down a pop music rabbit hole over my breakfast, which really made me think about these jazz sax solos and these harmonica solos that have popped up in the 90s. Or, of course, it's like perhaps the most... bring you back. Oh, wow. It's hard to say what I see in you, Joey. Um, <laughs> different bands, same time frame, wanted to just sort of harmonicas about. They're basically the same band. Yeah. And so there's also, of course, the mainstay, the guitar solo. Like the guitar solo is something that's been around in pop music for for very, very long time, and it's been a mainstay. But I guess 
I see these as these like production music chapters and phenomena that have happened where we saw just a shit ton of harmonica solos all at once from like (laughs) Alanis Morissette and Sister Hazel and, and just all these people all at once. And then you just don't hear a harmonica solo in a pop song ever. It's just like, Gone. It's like the harmonica didn't We're exist. We're done with harmonicas again. now. It's out of here. 10,000 maniacs, more like zero. Thank you. I really couldn't remember Blues Traveler's name. <laughs> it was bothering me. Um, and so really this takes me to my question that I have for you. Um, what do you think is going to be the next musical instrument solo in pop music? This is challenging because mm. so much stuff has become digitized. I'd heard an interview um, with what's his name, Jason Derulo. Oh. <laughs> uh, hold on. Uh, I appreciate that you tried to sing it, and I was like, mm. <laughs> "Yes, you should have." It was good. Derulo. <laughs> Uh, actually Jason Isbell. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he has uh, on HBO. They have the Music Box series, and there's one coming out about him right now. And and uh, Bill Simmons interviewed him and asked him, you know, why do you think you travel with a band, you work with a band, you've been together a long time, you were in a band before that. Why do you think bands are going away? And he was just like, you know, it's a lot easier when you just make the music by yourself and you don't have to listen to anyone doesn't necessarily make the music better but Mm. you know it's also cheaper when you're just doing it by yourself and all these other things and and so much of of that right the the digitization which in many ways is good it democratizes music it's given us artists that have you know risen to like even world stages that were able mm-hmm. to produce independent music. But at the same time, you're not getting that person where you're like, all right, we're making an album and Mike needs a solo on one of these songs or like Sharon needs to like really like strum at the keyboards and get her one solo on this track or whatever it is. And, and so like, even in, in that component of you have a bunch of like talented musicians working together and there's, you're sort of creating some opportunity for each of them to shine over the course of an album. Like it feels like it, it could as much be about human dynamics of mm-hmm. like the act of making music of these people are playing together and, you know, you, you can do those things intentionally, right? Like, I don't know why the saxophone solo in careless whisper uh, mm-hmm. up, whether it was you know George Michael just really loved saxophone or it was the effect he was trying to go for or there was like a studio musician that was like hey man like I, I picked your dog up from the airport like <laughs> can I just get like a solo on this album and George Michael's like ah oh, shit you're right he he did you did mm-hmm. that so, you did it. I, I gotcha I mean I have thoughts, but just, I guess when I think about our ukulele intro, right? Like we really thought about what that's going to stand out for. And I really thought it was going to be the, uh, the centerpiece of, of us being sampled in, in pop music. I I just wanted to call that out. There's still time and, and just deserves music credit. I think, I, I think you're onto something, not just about the 
creation of music being more solo, but but specifically in the digitization of music, specifically, where the art of how it translates into live music as well. So like digitization of music really meant that we were looping stuff so much more and there was a greater reliance on sampling as well. And this has been both the digitization and the impact of hip hop, like both of them creating two dynamics. One being that we're looping more content and we're creating song structures in pop music that I think in general are hewing toward the more simple like A, B, A, B, C, A, B structure. But then also, we've got incredible lyrical density in our pop music now. Like there tend to be more syllables, and I am I have no data to support this. This is completely observational. But the lyrical density, the syllabic density, perhaps more specifically, of songs means that we are in pop music listening more to like words and talking and the singer that is at the front of the song, as opposed to thinking about the full texture. And then the way that that plays out in live music experiences too, the digitization of like, it's not as often that it's about the musicianship of pop musicians. It's about the experience that they're creating all around them. Like the Instagramification of the live concert means that like, do you really want to be like, how much time are you really investing on like giving a guitarist a solo and like shredding it really hard versus doing some additional thing with lights and the screens that you have in the room and doing more storytelling in the middle of your concert. And I think all those things lead to rather than making more space for those feature moments, actually just squeezing it all out and making music more of like a platform for a vocalist in pop music, as opposed to the like coagulation of musicianship of different performers. See, this is interesting because I was recently listening to catching up on episodes of Switched On Pop, one of my mm. favorite podcasts, mm. as I've talked about on this show before. Um, and I don't know if either of you or anyone listening has heard the episode about um, this like sound taking over indie mm. folk, mm. where this guy, Ruben Cox, of old style guitar shop located outside of LA or in LA um, uh, made like a slapdash kind of guitar of like a bunch of pieces and parts um, trying to start this guitar shop and ended up um, connecting. I think it was like with Andrew bird and like ultimately Everyone was like, oh my goodness, this is like the most unique thing. I've never heard this sound. Like, it's such a unique sound. I want this. Like, I want to capture this sound. And so now it's all over the different um, albums of artists you've probably heard. Like, of course, Taylor Swift's latest album, um, record, whatever you're supposed to call it. Um, (laughs) Phoebe Bridgers, Olivia Rodrigo. Uh, all, anyway, all these different artists, and it's really interesting because this is entirely about the musicianship in a way, or like mm. harnessing a unique sound as opposed to trying, you know, to make it like it's almost in my mind like the nerding out side of what could mm. potentially fill that that maybe not necessarily solo space, but you know, like trying to make your music unique. 
um, which is kind of interesting and a different way of thinking about things. I don't know. What do you think? There's, it's funny because there's like forces pushing towards like more interesting things like you're talking about, Jess, right? Of like the invention of new sounds or like even some, you know, like uh, the the sort of identifying markers of different genres has expanded and, and things like that are, are sort of pushing towards unique sounds and people trying to make an interesting thing in a, a like quite saturated marketplace that is moving faster. And then simultaneously though, like some of the things you were talking about, Aaron, right? Because acts are solo, there's an increase in the orientation that you can't just be the music, that you have to be like a brand, that you have to be a, you know, an influencer persona, that you're contending with the streaming marketplace. There's like some studies that came out apparently. I like pulled up because I was like, I feel as you were talking, I was like, I feel like songs are also getting shorter, which is taking yes. away from the opportunity to even insert a solo somewhere. Mm -hmm. And there are a bunch of studies saying like from 2013 to 2018, the average song on the Billboard Hot 100 fell from or was three minutes and 50 seconds. Um, and by like 2022, it's under three minutes, uh, wow. which is like. 25% reduction in the length of a song. Like you're basically, you just took the solo out of that song. That's the, that's like the effect of streaming, right? Of like mm. the more plays. Yep. Yeah. I, there's something also that you said, Joey, that struck me, which is about these identifying markers of genres, like the identifying sonic markers of genres, where if I think about, it, I guess it takes me in two different directions. One is about the type of like featured acts that tended to be in songs in the past. And maybe I'm just thinking of a really like top of mind example is Slash being on Beat It. Like it wasn't just that there was a guitar solo on Beat It. It's that it was fucking Slash. And so there's something really, I really- I can hear really it right weird. now. Yes. That, oh, and that like, thun, 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 like when he's plugging in the guitar or whatever. And then he, yeah. It's amazing. Or um, you think about as well bands that were rooted in a specific genre. So like uh, uh, Freebird, like, I don't know, like you've got lots of different bands that functionally are built around guitar sounds. And so a solo makes sense. Blues Traveler had a harmonica, like a harmonic kissed, a, har a har harmonicist. John Hopper, I think, I think. I'm going to let you Google that before I agree too quickly, because I think that's right. But I don't want to end up in the uh, corrections department this week, because now I've got a high. I, Sorry, I shouldn't have done it. Why did I say it? Yes. Yes. John I, was, I was right in thinking oh. that it was wrong. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> um, I am invincible. So I also think that those were really rooted in creating identifiable sonic markers based on the the um, on the musician that are a part of the band. Like a we, steel guitar or yeah. Yes. And so those like, and then also there was, um, you know, a consolidation of producers as well, because I think we all have talked about, I think we've even talked about here when we were talking about media twins, like you can talk about Pharrell when Pharrell was producing stuff. Like he has chord progressions that make songs, NERD or Pharrell songs. It's yep. that whole stretch is like, yep, that's them. Similarly, Timbaland, like the way he uses samples, 
you know a Timbaland song when you hear it. Kanye, back in the day, you knew a Kanye song and how he was going to speed up the sample and make it all squeaky Alvin and the Chipmunks voice. And so you have these like breakthrough moments that actually happened that I think led to more of this like you want atmospheric markers within pop to bring people's ears in to listen more. And that's increasingly rooted in like not um, instruments that are not of this world or instruments that are so either uh, digitized and manipulated that they create a pad or like a sonic signal as opposed to actually being about the like the spotlight of someone creating that in the moment life. It's about overproducing it. And the work is done before it's performed. It, it also feels like there was an embrace of emotion in a different mm-hmm. way, in a wider spectrum of emotion in a different mm-hmm. way. And, and like, not as like the kids today, and like, I'm, I'm truly not doing that thing. Like there's music today that I love and, and find new songs all the time, but there was a different approach to it where today it feels much more about vibes. And that includes the, yes. the artists themselves as being part of it. Like, like ice spice is vibes, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. it's not like she has like amazing bars and it's not like the beat goes that hard. It's just like, you're, you're just like, I dig your vibe. Like she has like, uh, an amount of swagger and a thing that she's putting out in the world that people are like sick like this fits into tiktok super well and you know like uh mm-hmm. but that that so often the solos were a way of like keying in on a specific emotion and amplifying it and i do think there has been some instances that you can point to where people are finding other ways to create solo opportunities as Mm -hmm. there's a we've i think we've spoken about this on the show before but there's a whole article written at one point about kid cuddy's keening Mm -hmm. where he's just like making these sounds and and someone had like gone deep analyzing keening and like why people are like really getting into him because it is just like this visceral uh, expulsion of an emotional state as a way because he maybe can't play like a guitar or whatever. It's not the way he makes his music, right? He's singing and, and rapping and then he's just making these like keening sounds. What is that? What is keening? Like, I- I'm not going to try to do it because it'll sound so bad. Uh, the action of wailing in grief for a dead person, mm. prolonged and high-pitched, typically in a way that expresses grief or sorrow. It, he's wow. just making these sort of like songs like in his like throat and chest that are sort of like long sounds where it's it's sort of like a, a release valve of like the emotional state that he's sort of capturing in, in the songs as a way to like have these solos almost in between um, the verses but like and and i'm sure there are like other cool ones but so much of like the mainstream music i think has moved away from that right that sort of like vulnerable expression of what's going on in like because you don't you don't want to like seem weak or you don't want to like talk about a thing that makes you feel like 
you're going to have to have future conversations about it. So it is much more of like uh, building a facade for artists in a lot of pop music and not all of it, but nonetheless. You hit on something that made my neurons go pick, 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 wow, wow, which is uh, a few things. One is that a lot of this like vo- voice as texture or using sound and then reshaping it is again this sort of uh, consequence of um, the digitization of music and self production and being able to like not or not being able to or not needing to have to be a musician in the traditional sense or being like a uh, a guitarist or a, a trumpet player or something like that to be able to make great music and to tr- to close the gap between the imagination in your mind which is likely drenched in emotion and what people feel and hear um mm-hmm. and i was thinking about this in a few different ways because you you mentioned this and then you mentioned tiktok like mm-hmm. The social media landscape requires music to not only it's increased the memeability of music. It's like, yes, it's an avenue for music artists to create and be found, but it's also like trying to like so many musicians are trying to craft a TikTokable um snippet that either becomes memed itself or that can sit in the background in order of so many different videos to be able to be discovered in that way. But then the other thing is that it's contributing to overall impatience. Like, I don't know that that like pop music listeners today have the patience to sit through a guitar solo. <laughs> like, it's like, no, I want to get to the next verse. And this is exactly what you said about songs shortening. I think there's another element of this, which is like, there is the listener who is saying, pick it up. I, I love that you guys are doing this, but I, I came here for vibes and I need voice to give me vibes, which that was the last thing when you just blew my mind with that, because like, I've heard a lot of artists talk about like their mumble track when they're writing a first song, which is like, you don't know the words, you just, you're figuring out like the harmony and you're just like, recording into a into a recorder just like and you've got an idea of like oh it's gonna be something like whatever that was just because i have proud mary stuck in my head from or mary from lady gaga that's where that was um but all of this is basically like what if your mumble track were your song what if you just left it at like syllables and feeling and sounds you mean Fetty Wap? <laughs> like, well, and then I wasn't, I didn't want to leave out mumble rap too. Like all of this is sitting in this big bucket of like, you don't need to hear every word right now. You need to have the scene set for you because you as the listener are actually painting with painting with this in your own life, in your own scene. I was trying to explain to someone, you like, cause there's this debate of like millennials don't get ice spice. Mm-hmm. And someone's and like one of my friends who maybe is even like a young Gen X was like, I love Ice Spice. And I was like, it's not even the point, actually. It's Ice Spice is an aesthetic. Yes. It, it feels like she is like performance art. It is like as popular in TikTok as it is in like Spotify. It, it is about like being an aesthetic. And that part to me makes me a, a little sad where it, it is like mm-hmm. stepping away like some of my favorite songs are like eight minutes. There's like the end of 
Sufjan Stevens' Age of Ads album yes. is like a 25-minute mm-hmm. song. It's like an album by itself. It has like a full movement and there's like so much like happening. And I'm like, like sick, right? Like, I don't know, like Jack Harlow's What's Poppin' like has a great beat, but like it's it's just vibes, you know? Mm-hmm. So how would just you describe your <laughs> how would you describe just vibes? Mm. So I I would sort of double into double down on the idea of music as aesthetic, like vi- music as vibes to me, which feels uh, that feels extremely true to me, and it actually makes me feel a little bit relieved to a certain degree because like we're talking about pop music, we're not talking about all music, and it's not like no music will ever have meaning anymore. I will be old man Shakespeare cloud in this instance. Uh, but like, I don't, I don't think we're going in that direction, but to me, when it's just about the intermingling of harmony and it's about, um, using sound to set mood and to, and, and music fundamentally as background, not foreground to me is what music as vibes means. And I think that that's that what that unlocks for me too is the streaming of music, restaurants needing to have their streaming account playing music in the background. I remember recently being in Mexico and we were at a restaurant and all of the music was like lo-fi electronic music, which clearly for me I'm like yay, but it was like lo-fi electronic covers of really not write songs like the songs that were being covered were like uh this just isn't right this bothers me like it's just because like the the contrast fell off but for the restaurant and the person that picked the playlist they were like oh yeah we want something that's vaguely recognizable to people who are in the restaurant but we want it to be in the background of their meal we don't want it to be something it's not like we've got people who are like playing guitars in front of you or something like that we want it to be in the background and i think that like more and more and more, there is a growing contingent of people who are very, very comfortable with music as background because it sells, because it actually gets you streams, and you might be able to make a living off of being the person that creates, that's always on the retail playlist for Ann Taylor Loft. I don't know. Oh my goodness. This feels like a very roundabout full circle to the original prompt because mm. background listening Uzak elevator music and people's associations however misguided they are of like jazz as being mm. elevator music mm. so interesting to think of like reclaiming or redefining what that background listening like what vibes mm. <laughs> suits the background <laughs> And and maybe it just sounds so different than, you know, the 30s or 40s or, you know, a, a different time. And, um, right, and how that, I think, is, like, a totally different concept from very active, like, foreground listening, like, where I am intentionally waiting for the four minute solo or, you know, what, what, like Like whatever is like, recognize my virtuosity. Yeah, exactly. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's just that we can, that there is still room. There's plenty room for both of those types of use cases for 
music and it's interesting i i'm i'm now starting to understand a bit more of like the those textures and the and the role that they play and um and where maybe some of those lines are blurring of like is this is am i supposed to be listening to this active in between i also think that we must give credit where it's due to less who provided his hypothesis on what would replace the uh, harmonica solo. Mm. <laughs> and his idea of this is the skirt, which I'm doing wrong, but that is the closest we're going to get. <laughs> and he created a playlist of songs where the guy says skirt in it as, as the replacement for the, this is for true. the solo. And I'm like, that's just a very interesting texture. Is that a foreground texture? Is that a solo? I don't know. Is that meant to be my vibes? Maybe. I maybe am excited for you to go on this journey and I will be right in the sidecar with uh aviator goggles going, Yes, let's go faster. Go ahead and crank it. Whoa. <laughs> uh I really look forward to this. Again, Again. always the older guy. It happens. Uh <laughs> well I think I think you just did an unlabeled uh, wrap-up corner, although if you had any additional wrap-up corner thoughts that you wanted to add, we'll make sure we give room for that. The unwrap-up corner? I think that's what that was. Let's talk about the difference between Olivia Rodrigo's driver's license yeah. as her first launch track Security. compared to her album, Security. and where one exposed more vulnerability. Where <laughs> Club that man. Club that man. Ma'am, this is a Walmart Sir, this is a Wendy's. (laughs) (laughs) What? (sighs) Critical Nonsense is a Sylvain production. Brought to you by Quincy Jones' Ingenuity, which basically gave you every song that you ever liked ever. Mwah! I'd like to take this opportunity to thank my favorite co-hosts, Aaron Powers and Joey Kim. Oh my goodness. And we, me, on behalf of we, need to thank our executive producer, the one, the only, the to our were, Jess Vander. Yeah. Oh, right. I have to do another one. Uh, we'd also <laughs> like to thank sound engineer and the man who really helps me understand which sine curve is supposed to sound the way it looks, Alex Contell. Thanks to our programming, why did I say it like that? Our programming coordinator <laughs> and embodied jazz solo, Les Jacobs. Man, and then if we can just give a, uh, a, a standing ovation to the production help that comes from Sarah Gilbert and Nora Mestrich and Les Jacobs. Nope. <laughs> nope. Just the first two. We'll thank Les later. We then we'd be happy. Him, but that's Damn also it. Okay. I'm sorry. This is really hard, guys. Credits <laughs> are hard. Always. Sorry, Les. Man, sorry. <laughs> oh. Special thanks. Goldfish, you have the exact same length of memory that I do, basically. The snack that smiles back. <laughs> Goldfish. <laughs> it's true. Really um, special thanks to the harmonica. It mm. works both ways. It, ooh, if you like breathe in real fast, you've got a concert. <laughs> and as an asthmatic, I tried that for years. The accordion it's, it's of the mouth. Um, 
as an asthmatic. I'm sorry about that. That's <laughs> all good. Uh, special thanks to whom artists that Dolly. Yeah. I mean, yep. I have to. I mean, so Dolly is always wonderful in saying that, like, she's, you know, what do you, what do you have to say that uh, Whitney Houston's version is, is more popular than yours? And she's like, I feel great. She's made me rich. Keep going. <laughs> like, this is like Dolly in one sentence. Like, come on, <laughs> let's build people up and recognize like this is uh. all good. Um, but to that end, I do want to thank every producer that was involved in developing the Bodyguard soundtrack because mm. listening to that this morning again from top to bottom, I mean, the, the, every Whitney song is a banger mm-hmm. with the exception of the gospel, Yes, Jesus Loves Me, kind of a snoozer. But all the rest are like, oh, like I know every word. So thank you for making that decision. That changed lives. It's huge. Wow. Oh, I think that is it for this week, but I did quickly want to thank guitar soloists everywhere. Don't stop believing in what you do. (laughs) It's a really good one. That guitar, that mouth guitar that you just made, I was referring to. That's what I have. Okay, thanks so much. Talk to you next time. Bye. Bye. (laughs) I guess I do always say goodbye that way. Oh, sick. I didn't record any of this. Cool. Alex did. It's all good. I've done this. I think I've only done this in this group, as a matter of fact. Did you record it, Alex? (laughs) Because I don't see the recording button. All right, great.